voice. If you are listening to the sound of my voice right now, that means you are tuned into my very first episode of my podcast in Grown Folks Business. Thank you so much for being here. You could be listening to anything else, and I'm so grateful you decided to press play. Um, I really want to give a shout out to the people on Instagram who, you know, if you follow me on Instagram, I think I got a podcast on there already, okay? And the people who watch my videos and listen to me talk about current events and who have messaged me and said, girl, where is the podcast? It's because of you guys that I decided to complete this project. Even though I wanted to do it, I wasn't sure that it would be well received or that people really wanted it. And so I am so grateful for you guys. I know that I said I wanted it out before summer was over and then I made it even more strategic uh, timeline for myself, which was by the end of July. So here we are. Thank you guys so much. Um, in this first episode, I really wanted to just touch on what ingrown folks business means so that you guys get a sense of who I am and what the podcast is as a whole um, before we jump straight into our first episode. So like I said, I've been wanting to do this podcast for a while. One day, randomly, while I was working out, Ingrown Folks Business came into my mind as a title. And um, if you're Black, you know that that's a Black proverb, pretty much, um, which just means you don't pay no rent, you don't pay no bills, you're not an adult, but you're trying to be in my business. You're trying to listen to what I'm talking about and have an opinion. And um, growing up as the only child in my immediate family, It was very hard because my sister was an adult, my parents were adults, and all the people that they always brought around were adults. And so me being inquisitive and me just being um, smart, I guess, and just interested in, in life and having a lot of opinions, I was always deemed as, you know, I guess, nosy, ingrown folks business, you know, rude, disrespectful, Um, but really, I just... I just got life, I guess. And so I really wanted to create this podcast in this space for younger people, teenagers to 20s and 30s. I'm only 22, but for younger people who really have a lot of ideas, who have a lot of understanding on life, who are interested in life and who are interested in what we can do to be the change that we want to see. Um, so I really want this podcast to not only be about hearing the sound of my voice, but being about building community, right? And just being a space where we can all come and talk about things that matter to us and things that are important, things that need more coverage um, and figure out what we can do and what the solutions are. Um, I thank you guys so much again for joining me. This is so exciting. And without further ado, we're just going to get straight into it. So here's episode one entitled The Race Card. What is up, y'all? I am ready to get straight into this episode. Like I promised you, this one is entitled The Race Card. Uh, The Race Card is something, a phrase that is used by all walks of people, um, usually to belittle the black experience in America and to say, hey, this thing that happens to you has nothing to do with your race. Racism is dead, child. And it is just because you as a person are terrible and it has nothing to do with the systems put in place to kill you. So I really wanted to get on here and and just talk about that topic because since the tragic murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Elijah McClain, I've seen this phrase thrown around so loosely, it's disgusting. Um, I wanted to get into some facts and to some receipts, honey, because one thing about me, I always come with receipts. Um, 
I want to just start with black people make up 13.4% of the United States of America. That's it. And that's all. And that's amazing to me because we influence the entire world. So she made some points. Cut her a check, honey. Um, But with that being said, I want you to keep that in mind when I read these next stats. So this is from the CDC website, and this is something that has been making its rounds lately on social media. And this is 2007 through 2016 national data on pregnancy-related mortality. Um, It goes on to say that Black women experience higher PRMRs, that is pregnancy-related mortalities, than all other racial or ethnic populations. Um, Black women's PRMR is 40.8%. It says for women over the age of 30, PRMR for Black and Native American women was four to five times higher than it was for white women. The PRMR for Black women with at least a college degree was 5.2 times higher than that of their white counterparts. The CDC then goes on to uh, have a section that says reducing disparity in pregnancy-related mortalities. Hospitals and healthcare systems can implement standardized protocols and quality improvement initiatives, especially among facilities that serve disproportionately affected communities. Um, identify and address implicit bias in healthcare that would likely improve patient-provider interactions, health communication, and health outcomes. I thought that that was great that they included that um, because I, I think that they're making it clear like, hey, look, it's it's not really because everybody keeps saying, oh, black people have hypertension, black people have diabetes. Like, no, this is happening because of health bias, racial bias. Um, I also wanted to touch on something else today. I wanted to move on to the school to prison pipeline. My best friend, Nama, she runs a blog, a brilliant blog called Revamp Education. That is revampedu.com, where she speaks about, uh, and she speaks a little in detail about this as well. But according to the ACLU, the school to prison pipeline, um, the school to prison pipeline is a zero tolerance discipline that has resulted in black students facing disproportionately harsher punishments than white students in public schools. Um, Black students represent 31% of school-related arrests. Black students are suspended and expelled three times more than white students. Students suspended or expelled for a discretionary violation are nearly three times more likely to be in contact with the juvenile justice system the following year. Uh, The ACLU then did make a point to say the ACLU is committed to challenging the school to prison pipeline, a disturbing national trend wherein children are funneled out of public schools and into juvenile and criminal justice systems. Many of these children have learning disabilities or histories of poverty, abuse or neglect and would benefit from additional educational and counseling services. Instead, they are isolated, punished and pushed out. I really think everybody needs to do the research on the school to prison pipeline. It is very disturbing and just very overwhelming, but it is very important. Um, And we got to figure out what we can do about that. 
I want to also touch today on marijuana, the marijuana, honey. Okay. The devil's lettuce. Yes. I want to talk about the devil's lettuce because I know that you guys have seen all of the dispensaries popping up everywhere, right? Tons of dispensaries. I mean, they're making it a spa day. You could walk in, you could get a bottle of champagne. You could get a, this is just what I'm saying online, honey. I don't smoke the devil's lettuce now. But you could walk in, you could get some champagne, you could put your feet up. You could, it's like an Apple store from what I've seen online. Um, it's a it's it's a booming industry right now. But let's talk about all the people who have been incarcerated due to marijuana. According to the ACLU's original analysis, marijuana arrests now account for over half of all drug arrests in the United States. Of the 8.2 million marijuana arrests between 2001 and 2010, 88% were simply for having marijuana. Nationwide, the arrest data revealed one consistent trend, significant racial bias. Despite roughly equal usages, despite roughly equal usages, or usage race, despite roughly equal usage race, I'm going to say that a few more times because I feel like that's what people are not getting. Despite roughly equal usage rates, despite roughly equal usage rates, despite roughly equal usage, okay, blacks are 3.73 times more likely than whites to be arrested for marijuana. Okay. Um, I think that that's amazing. I think that's amazing, especially now growing up and seeing what what weed culture, <laughs> what weed culture has really become. Like it has become an entire experience. You know what I'm saying? Like I remember back in high school, my homies used to have to, you know, go get the plug and they would be hiding out and he would bring a dime back, whatever. It's not even like that anymore. You literally can go around the street, walk into an air conditioned fresh door, you know, with incense blowing inside and tell them your favorite strain and walk out and smoke in public, at least in California, at least in California. And uh, all of these men have lost their freedom to having marijuana. So I want to know what we're doing about releasing everyone, everyone in jail on uh, marijuana-related charges. You take your guess on what we're doing. Uh, I wanted to go to the NPR as well, and I want to talk about uh, the housing uh, discrimination that we as Black people have experienced. They were touching on the book, The Color of Law, which is uh, subtitled A Forgotten History of How Our American Government Segregated America. This is... um, specifically talking about housing. Um, So they have an excerpt here of an interview that says, and the heading says, on the long-term effects of African-Americans being prohibited from buying homes in suburbs and building equity, it says today African-American incomes on average are about 60% of white incomes, but African-Americans' wealth is about 5% of white wealth. Most middle-class families in this country gain their wealth from the equity they have in their homes. So this enormous difference between a 60% income ratio and a 5% wealth ratio is almost entirely attributable to federal housing policy implemented in the 20th century. 
Uh, this headline also says on the FHA, the Federal Housing Agency, agency's manual that explicitly laid out seg- segregationalist policies. It was in something called the Underwriting Manual of the Federal Housing Administration, Federal Housing Administration, sorry, um, which said that incompatible racial groups should not be permitted to live in the same communities, meaning that loans to African Americans could not be insured. And one development in Detroit, the FHA, would not go ahead during World War II with this development unless the developer built a six-foot-high wall cement wall separating his development from a nearby african-american neighborhood to make sure that no african-americans could even walk into that neighborhood the underwriting manual of the federal housing administration recommended that highways be a good way to separate african-americans from white neighborhoods so this was not a matter of law it was a matter of government regulation but it also wasn't hidden so it can't be claimed that it was some kind of de facto situation regulations that are written in law and published in the underwriting manual are as much as de jure unconstitutional expression of government policy as something written in law you hear black people say a lot that they gotta you know y'all got a, a, a head start this is what we're talking about um the second to last thing that I want to touch on today is the Crown Act. Uh, the Crown Act stands for Create a Respectful and Open World for Natural Hair. It was created in 2019 to uh, per protect against discrimination in schools and the workplace. This is coming from their website. It says, we're ending hair discrimination. The Crown Act was created in 2019 to ensure protection against discrimination based on race hairstyles, race-based hairstyles, I'm sorry, by extending statutory protection to hair texture and protective styles such as braids, locks, twists, and knots in the workplace and public schools. Uh, the Crown Act was passed in a few places, and I know that it was passed in California. Um, I think that it's, like, really, really hurtful. And really, it, it actually, yes, it's really hurtful to be a black woman in America because I am discriminated against on my race. So from what we've read, you know, I'm most, my, my, my group is more likely to die uh, related to childbirth. Uh, and then my child is most likely uh, on a pathway to prison. And then... I can't go to work because the hair that grows from my head is not acceptable. Um, and so now we've reached the last and final thing, which I think is the most important thing in this climate. Um, it talks about the number of people shot to death by p- the police in the United States from 2017 to 2020 by race. This is from the NAACP. Um, white people make up 61% of the United States. 60%, I'm sorry. Black people make up 13.4, like I've said before. 41% of white people make up police brutality shootings, 22% of black people. Um, Let's get into the real numbers. I know sometimes percentages are confusing. So in 2019, 370 white people were reportedly shot to death by the police. 235 black people were reportedly shot to death by the police. I think that when we get to this situation is where we realize who is smart, honey, and who is (laughs) ready for natural selection. Because 
I don't understand how this is something we cannot get. So yeah, uh, just like our president said the other day, you know, more white people die at the hands of cops. Okay, but there's like more white people in general. So that's really not the point. If my best friend has 50 of something and she loses 10 and I have four of something and I lose three, even though she lost 10, which is more than my three that I lost, I now have one and she has 40. Am I right or am I wrong? I need a mathematician up in here, honey, because I know the numbers are not adding up. And I'm sick and tired of people trying to use this as an excuse. Number one, if you really see that white people are dying at the hands of cops, I feel like we should be protesting cops in general. But you really don't want to protest the cops. You really just want to, uh, you know, belittle my my experience. Um, I think that the most important thing that we could do in this time is stay focused, okay? I got a bad habit now of fighting with racists online. Some racists from Kentucky with two front teeth telling me my black life does not matter and I come from an ape somewhere. I got a bad habit because listen, it's ridiculous and sometimes I literally cannot even stomach seeing something like that. Like sometimes the ignorance is just so frustrating. I feel like I cannot stay silent, but let me tell you, it's distracting, okay? It really does not matter what Chris from Kentucky thinks because Chris from Kentucky does not pass the laws. Okay. Chris from, from Kentucky is not in office. So I'm not really focused on Chris from Kentucky. I need to be focused on the people in the big seats, honey, in the hot seats who can make things happen. Okay. That's where we need to be focused. And that's where we need to keep our energy. And that is me included. So I really want us to just stay focused, stay the course. Okay. Our fallen brothers and sisters, the least that they deserve from us is to get these things done. I know that a lot of times we feel like voting is is, is not you know going to help. Signing petitions is not going to help. But let me tell you something. We've got so much done this year. In these, what, two months since the tragic passing of George Floyd, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, we've gotten so much done. So there's absolutely no way that we can sit here and we can say our job is done. The, the, we we got to stay the course. Okay, the job is not done. We got a lot of work to do. Um, I want to say also continue to share GoFundMe's, continue to share uh, petitions, continue to sign petitions. Please continue to sign petitions. I every time I see a petition, sign, 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 sign. Once you are logged in, uh, pretty much you can just press a button and that's it. You don't even have to write anything. It's done for you. It takes all of five seconds to make a change. Um, let's keep doing that. Um, I saw people complaining that Elijah McClain's mom, I think she wanted something like five million. I'm not, I really didn't fact check it because I personally do not care if the lady wants five million dollars. Um, she lost her child. So I'm still gonna send her my little ten dollars and we're gonna raise together and we're gonna give her this five million dollars. Okay. I really didn't check it because I really don't care, like I said. But at the end of the day, people are still have not met their GoFundMe goals. We got to donate. These people are going to need lawyers. Um, these people are going to need grievance fees. These people are going to need funerals. So uh, let's let's continue to do that. Um, I also really actually wanted to to bring up a few things before we go. My godmother slash cousin Sharice, shout out to you. Um, please do not you know, try and ask me to cut you a check for using you in my podcast because I have no dollars. But she actually spoke on Crown Day on Instagram and and kind of told her story about how she was told her braids were deemed aggressive. 
in the workplace. Her braids were deemed aggressive. Okay. So when we talk about, you know, wearing these styles that are tradition to us, these styles that are cultural to us, these styles that are, I mean, this is, this is our culture. And then we get online and then we see Kylie Jenner in a braided lace front wig or, you know, her and her sister in cornrows and then they call them boxer braids. I literally wish you could see my face because I'm so bored. I'm so bored. Okay. With the Car Jenners and their stealing of black culture and then relabeling them and then making it a trend and popular. And this is why it's so hurtful and such a big deal because black women can literally not provide for their families for wearing something that is literally who they are. And let's not even talk about when we style our hair. Let's not even talk about braids or knots or, or, or cornrows. Let's talk about 4C hair. Let's talk about 4A hair. Let's talk about any hair that is not about 2C. That is deemed inappropriate. The hair that goes out of our head. And then we have people go on, on the internet and use straws to make their hair super tight. I mean, it's literally, I'm bored and I'm tired. And I wish that there was a new train that people could hop on instead of the black culture train. Because it really just goes to show that that the disrespect for our culture extends um, has extended far past, far past Jim Crow. Although people seem to, to not really believe that. Um, so we really can't win in any area. You know, we can't have our hair done. We can't have babies. And then if we do get to have the babies, then they're on the school to prison pipeline. And then if we do have babies who grow up, then, you know, we're worried about them for the rest of their lives encountering a, a racist cop. Um, black people are upset. And black people are tired. So allies, I really encourage y'all to check in on your black friends, check in on, you know, your black neighbors, and just make sure that you continue to do your part as an ally. You cannot be an ally if you are not calling out the, the behavior around you. If you are letting the the uh, the disgusting narratives fly, uh, you're not really doing your part. I also want you to be safe, not be dumb. So don't cut out your parents if you know your mom's going to pull out a shotgun on you. But what I'm saying is, it's also your part to call out what you see as wrong. That is also a part of your job. Not just posting a black square on Blackout Tuesday. It's your job to call out anything that is racially insensitive all the time. Um, black people, I know that sometimes we feel like we don't need white people, but we do. We need allies. All of the strongest uh, rebellions really had allies. They had allies. So you know, we need each other. I'm grateful to the allies. I don't want to say I'm sitting on here thinking a fish were swimming. Um, but thank you for being on the right side of history because you could not be. Um, I also just wanted to say one more thing. I, I wanted to talk about COVID and I wanted to give one more example. Um, I, I don't really have any receipts for this because you can just get on social media and type in COVID mass protests and you'll find a trillion things. Um, but we've seen all over social media white people protesting masks, okay? In front of cops' faces, screaming at them in front of City Hall and not wearing a mask while they're doing so. Not met with rubber bullets. Not met with handcuffs. But free to go home to their families. Okay? And then we see black people get on, you know, we see black people online, I'm sorry, and 
you see them protesting uh, silently or peacefully Elijah McClain, um, Elijah McClain's wrongful death with violins. I don't know how much more peaceful you can get than a violin, maybe a harp. And they're protesting and then they're met with cops in riot gear and batons and, you know, pepper spray. Uh, which is why sometimes for me, when I see all these things and all of these things are in our faces all over the internet, it's really hard for me to sit and genuinely explain to somebody why what is happening is wrong or why what is happening is real. Because I feel like if you don't get it by now, if you don't know me by now, okay, if you don't get it by now, you ain't going to get it. And if you don't get it by now, you don't want to. So it's very hard for me to really get on here and explain. But I want to explain it, uh, you know, because there are there are a few. There are a few who are like not, you know, who who are interested in understanding, I guess. It's different if you're interested in understanding than if you don't believe. So like I said, don't waste your time getting online arguing with racists. Please stop the analogies. I hate the analogies, honey. Let's get into it. They are boring. Um, we're not saying black lives don't matter. These are the analogies I see. We're not saying black lives don't matter, but if you had one friend get shot in the foot and then we say we need an ambulance for her. And then somebody says, I need an ambulance. All ambulances matter. All feet, like all of that, like bro, cut it out, cut it out. Okay. These people get why all lives matter. These people are ignorant. Stop wasting your time. Stop wasting your breath. It really is draining. Black people, take a break, okay? Getting online every day and seeing one of your brothers and sisters shot, knowing it could have been anybody you know, is very stressful. It's very scary. It's very traumatizing. Seeing somebody taking their last breaths who look just like you and knowing there's nothing that they have done to deserve it except for looking like you. It's very stressful. It's very draining. It's very overwhelming. White people, please stop sharing these videos of these deaths. White people, Latino people, everybody, stop sharing these videos. But especially when it comes from people who are not black, it literally, my friend Nama also said this. Shout out to you, Nama. You made it on the podcast twice. She also said, like, it almost makes me look at, like, what are your intentions? Why are you showing somebody die? I'm not understanding. Please stop sharing videos of death. Let's remember these people in light. In happy times, the times that they deserve to still be experiencing. Um, black people, take a break. Please get up, get off of social media. Take a break. Take 30 minutes to get on and get informed and get right off. Because you know what? It's hard. It's hard. And we're not doing okay. We're in a pandemic that is disproportionately affecting us. And then we have to get out there in March knowing that the pandemic is disproportionately affecting us. So take a break. Thank you guys who are marching, who are working allies as well. Thank you guys for risking your lives to get your point across. Everybody stay in their lane. If you feel like you cannot march, uh, like I said, please keep sharing and keep working and keep writing and keep calling, you know, everybody can do something, but everybody can't do everything. And we need you to do something that you're comfortable doing, something that you know you can do, someplace you feel comfortable so that you can get up and you can do it again the next day because the fight doesn't stop, can't stop, won't stop. Um, with that being said, I wanted to end this podcast with this quote that I posted on Instagram. It is, uh, written in a meme form. So I really cannot give credit to, to the author. I don't know. Um, but it really, it really encompassed 
this podcast episode. It says, never let them convince you that broken glass or poverty is violence. Hunger is violence. Homelessness is violence. Racism is violence. White supremacy is violence. No health care is violence. Poverty is violence. Contaminating water sources for profit is violence. Property can be replaced. Human lives cannot. I hope that that's something that y'all sit with this week. And I hope that y'all stay blessed this week. And I hope that this week y'all stay in grown folks business. Thank you guys so much for stopping by. Take care. Bye. Hey y'all, just a side note, I think that I may have mixed up All Lives Matter and Black Lives Matter. You know what it is, Black Lives Matter, now, forever, period. Thanks y'all, bye.